and we're going to be in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and we're going to read a familiar passage of Scripture, about, tw- about six verses, seven verses this morning. In the 19th verse of the 10th chapter, it's familiar. I believe it's the right word for us today. I will have one additional passage that we'll read to, from in just a few moments in the Gospel of Luke. But here it says, there, and oddly enough, it's kind of in some of the context of what Joe was ministering and speaking on earlier. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, some translations would say confidence, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You're seeing the King James on the screen uh, in front of you and behind you. By a new and a living way, here the author says, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. King James says the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful who promised. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider, now 24, 25th verse, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That familiar verse, especially in the 25th verse, is where I'm going to kind of extract the context of what I want to speak to you about for just a few moments. Excuse me, it is this. As the day approaches, as you see the day approaches, What should your response be to it? And what is that day? That day, it could be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could be. Come on, somebody. Amen. Could be a climatic change in the way that we live life. The way things around us can change and change suddenly. And so as we see monumental change potentially looming in the horizon, you know, Peter said in lieu of the fact that all these things will be dissolved, he said, what manner of men ought you to be in holy life and lifestyle? Something should spur us. Something should move us. I'm going to keep it in the context potentially of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know the hour. I don't know when. I don't know necessarily even the fullness of the season. But we just know we're to live our life in the expectation of his return. Come on, somebody. And in that context, so much the more as we see the day approaching. So let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm humbled to be here. I'm so blessed to be the pastor of this great fellowship. I ask today that you would speak to us in such a way that the word of God is clear, that the revelation of your word is sure, the understanding of your word is real. We'll have an an anointing upon us. Let me have an anointing to read and to speak the word of God today, Father, and let the people's ear be receptive to what you would say. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said Amen. You please be seated today. And let me take just a moment. As you know, if you're familiar with the way that Pastor Brown preaches, I always like to take a moment to talk about the context here. And the writer of the book of Hebrews has just completed an argument, if that is the the best way of using it. He's either completed an argument argument, or he is he is finishing the revelation that God has given to him concerning the all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross. Now remember, as he's writing, he's writing in the context of Judaism. He's writing in the, in the awareness of the Jewish people then that had been converted to Christianity and yet are still, uh, you know, uh, reminded of the sacrificial 
you know, requirements of the Mosaic law. At the time he's writing, the temple in Jerusalem is still standing. People are still going through the motion. The high priest is still slaying, you know, a, a lamb on Passover. Daily sin offerings are brought in and burnt offerings and grain offerings are brought in. And the, the day of atonement has certainly been mentioned in this past. And, 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 and so the author here is, has the revelation that Jesus has completed that system. And I'm so thankful that he has today, aren't you? I'm so thankful that we don't have to slay a lamb to approach God. I'm so thankful I don't have to bring the blood of a bullock or a goat and enter into the presence of God. I'm so thankful God is not veiled any longer behind the veil in one particular place, uh, you know, in Mount Zion there in Jerusalem. Now, I'm so thankful today that you and I have access today to the presence of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. By virtue of what? By virtue of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. The writer here previously has concluded that Jesus was both the sacrifice and his blood was for atonement. Because without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. Not only was he the sacrifice, he was the lamb that was slain. It was his blood that would be applied not to a mercy seat in Jerusalem, but to the mercy seat in heaven, figuratively applied to the mercy seat in heaven. But he is also the high priest that stands in the presence of God for us. And he even now intercedes for you and I that the high priest is seated at the right hand of God where the Bible says that he enters, he ever lives to make intercession for us today. And I'm so thankful for Christ today. You and I have access now to the holiest, the throne room of God, the presence of God. And we're not talking about a physical temple here on the earth. We're not talking about a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, but we're talking about in heaven itself. Come on, somebody. I've been to Israel. I've been to Jerusalem. We've been upon Mount Zion. We've been around at the base of it. But I'm telling you, when you and I pray and when we worship, we go boldly into the throne room of grace. We access by our worship, by virtue of our song, by virtue of our entering in by faith by virtue of our petitioning God we go into the presence of God the Bible exhorts us that we will obtain mercy and we will find grace to help in the time of need I can go to God with anything in my life that I can approach God with and I can open it up before God and I say God I need your help and how many of you know God is willing Come on, he is. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I can go with complete confidence that I will not be turned away. Right, that I am accepted in Christ Jesus, that his blood was sufficient. The author was continuing. Notice some of the words that he was using. Our hearts symbolically have been sprinkled and our bodies have been washed. I'm clean before the Lord. I'm not unclean. I'm not declared unclean. I've been clean in my consciousness between me and God. I'm clean in my worship to God. My hands are no longer filthy. They're no longer unclean. But I've been made acceptable unto the Lord. He was to go on to say that we would hold fast. We would hold fast to our confession of faith. We're to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you don't have that full assurance today, then I want to encourage you. If you will just trust upon the merit of Jesus. Christ's blood on the cross, it will give you a confidence that you cannot gain any other way. You're confident that his sacrifice was all sufficient. And when he prayed that prayer on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. You have heard me say this many times, that when God forgave us, he reached all the way back to the sin of Adam and he reached all the way ahead to the last man ever born of a woman. And he took the sin debt and he wiped it clean so that we could approach God as one that has been 
been declared justified in the sight of God. Amen? Isn't that powerful? And it gives us a confidence. Our confession is in Him. It does not change. My profession does not change. Even though I may have stumbled, even though I may have even sinned, once I sin, I repent of my sin. I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. I confess my sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9 that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing has to stand between you and God. You can have access to the Father. So he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and he sat down on the right hand of God. Now, when he sat down, that was, if you can, cre- can kind of connect this to the context here in just a moment. It was most likely referring to the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, that was the one day in the Jewish calendar that the high priest would go into the holy place past the veil. The people would wait outside with expectation for him to reappear because when he reappeared, that was saying that God had accepted the blood that had been applied on the mercy seat for the sins of both the priest and for all the people. So they they, they, they waited, in essence, if you will, with bated breath. They waited in full expectation that the high priest would reappear. And it is a picture of you and I today. Atonement has been made. You and I are justified from our sin. But Christ has entered into heaven and he has sat down at the right hand of God. And we are waiting for him to return. We're waiting for him to come back. We're waiting for him to come and gather us into one. All things both that are in the earth, that are in heaven and that are under the earth. God to gather us all into one. And you say, well, pastor, in in that context, well, then what do I do as I wait, as I wait for him to reappear? What do I do? And I want to share with you because the author here gives us a couple of things that I think are just, it deserves our attention for just a moment. The writer clearly expresses to the listening audience of his day that you and I are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He even says, as the manner of some is. So what he was saying is, is that the church has come together. The word church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. It's also defined as the assembly of believers. And he is exhorting us that it is needful for us to connect with other men and women of like precious faith. That we are to come together, to go to the effort of getting in an automobile, driving down the road, getting out of your automobile, going through the door, coming together together, men and women with different backgrounds, men and women with different, uh, you know, uh, uh, jobs, and many and men and women with different family situations. But for a few moments in time, each week, we come together as a collective people to worship God. And he's challenging us to not allow ourselves to forsake this coming together. Now, he spoke of three things that I'm going to just highlight in a few moments that must be considered and must be accomplished by us coming together. Number one, we're to consider one another. Number two, we should provoke one another to love and good works. And number three, we should exhort one another. But it's in the context, don't forget this, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, here's the reality. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, and neither do you. It doesn't matter whose book you bought this week. It doesn't matter what book you checked out of our library. It doesn't matter whether John Hagee wrote it or whether it is uh, another, you know, well-known Christian author on prophetical events. There is, an, uh, there is a measure of uncertainty that God intended to be applied to the return of Christ. 
so that you and I would be always living our lives with the fact that he, the knowledge that he could come today. And so with that today, there's so much emphasis in the Christian uh, culture in the West today as we look across the waters to the Middle East and we look at the, the, the trauma of Israel or we look at world events in our time frame and in our generation. And unfortunately, please listen to the balanced approach that I'm going to give you today. Unfortunately, oftentimes hysteria is often associated with the context of his return. And I don't believe that that's the will of God for his children, that we live our lives in hysteria but rather we should live our lives that we are to occupy till he come, that we are to be busy about the will of God, to be busy about the kingdom of God. Doomsday prophets and end-time evangelists often attempt to coerce people into buying their book or watching their, uh, their particular film or movie or their program. Many of you, and we'll probably talk about this Wednesday night, we, we, we all kind of w- was made aware of the recent blood moon of Sunday night. I know many of you stayed up and watched it or the lunar eclipse, and you know the, 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 the information that had been shared that this lunar eclipse potentially had some prophetical implications because many Christian writers and authors and preachers have, was highlighting the fact that four consecutive blood moons that coincided with the four Jewish holidays, the four most known Jewish holidays and they've been propagated this doctrine been propagated and I'm not for it nor necessarily against it but but what they did was they cited four of the previous lunar eclipses and they're falling upon the four Jewish holidays and they noted that some significant event with the Jewish people happened near the time of those four blood moons within a year or two most of you know what I'm talking about most of you've heard some type of teaching on about but there is a little bit of error with the part of the doctrine because they attempt to use that as in essence saying that blood moon was a sign a warning to Israel that something uh, cataclysmic could be on the horizon but the problem with this is just real quickly is that if the four blood moons of the past were supposedly assigned to the Jewish people a little more study has caused us to see that during the four that they had cited previously two of the events happened prior to the blood moon cycle So in essence, just real quickly, let me put it in layman's terms. What happened was the event the sign was supposed to reveal preceded the sign. But let me tell you what that means. If I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I crash my automobile in 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 the water and the bridge is out and I look up, and I somehow am able to save my family, and we climb to the top of the embankment, and we look out, and the sign bridges out. is on the other side. Come on, somebody. Then how can that be a sign to me? So you've got to be very careful. I'm just challenging. I'm going to tell you also what you're going to begin to see in Christianity. And you've got to guard yourself. Again, I believe we should stay aware, but we should not fall into hysteria. It's a fine balance. Stay aware, stay vigilant, stay up to date on all things. I understand all of that, but don't get caught in the hysteria. What you're going to begin to see is that with Russia being a part of combat missions in Syria, you're going to see some try to make that Ezekiel 38 where a nation called Rosh invaded the land of Israel from the north. Some say that it was prophetical of what the time that we're living in. Here's my response. Is that prophecy in times or has it previously been 
been fulfilled. I personally cannot answer this. But if it is, here's my observation. If that is and if other prophetical signs or supposed prophetical signs are in association with Jesus' return, here's what I'm going to say to you. I don't think they're accomplishing the intended prophetical purpose of moving people spiritually. I don't because I see more apathy in the land. I don't necessarily see people rending their clothes and crying out and falling on the I see apathy. As the day approaching, here's what the scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But I had 55 people here on Wednesday night. So that means not everybody believes it. So I'm going to challenge you today. Let's tr- if you really believe that he's coming in your lifetime, then we need to get involved. It's time to be involved in the local body of Christ so that we can be a bright and a shining light so that we can be a sign to a lost and dying world. You need redemption? Come to Christ. We're his hands and his feet extended. Many of us have become desensitized to all the flamboyant claims of end times, prophetical teaching. And apathy has crept into the church. We are negligent of our commitment to wait for his return and our commitment to encourage one another. That's our responsibility to encourage one another. Let me tell you, I heard a well-known prophecy teacher this past week or two weeks ago. And I just couldn't believe it because I've respected him. But he said this. He said this. He said, Jesus will come in our lifetime. I don't believe that you can say that. I believe I'm to live my life like he's going to come in my lifetime. But I can't look into a television camera. But I can't promise you tomorrow in the first place. The day that's approaching might be the death angel coming for you. So you've got to live your life again like today is your day. Come on, somebody. Anyhow. So rather than attempting to figure out what world event might be, we might be associated with what prophecy or who's the Antichrist or what is the mark of the beast, you and I just need to be busy about his kingdom. Come on now. Let me read one final passage, and then I'm going to close with a couple of exhortations. But Luke's gospel, the 12th chapter, I think, captures the essence of what I'm attempting to say to you today. And now remember, I'm saying this in the context of the writer of Hebrews saying, as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching, as things in your heart and mind cause you to be more aware in the context that his return could be in your lifetime, what manner of a person you ought to be and what you should be involved in. But look what Jesus said. And now, it's not sure that this reference is exactly to his return because he's speaking to men that did not even believe he was going to go away the first time when he said this. But I think the application can be made. So let's think about who we are today. Think about your faith. Think about how you serve God. Think about your devotion life. Think about your commitment. Think about your involvement in the local body of Christ. Think about your relationship with one another. Think about are you really involved in the church or do you just come? Do you just come and sit on a seat, occasionally hear a sermon, and then slip out the back before anybody can even notice you even came and went? Or are you dynamically and uniquely involved in the body of Christ that you are saying, I'm here, brother, because I want to be God's hands and his feet that I want to minister to you in love. This passage here says that you should have your waist girded, New King James, and your lamp should be burning. Now, if you ever lived a bright and shining light for Jesus, now is the time. In a time of apathy, in a time with radical Islam, in a time of uncertainty in our political world, if ever there was a time for the church to live loud and be holy and be righteous and be salt and to be light and be unmovable in what we believe, now is the time. 
Now is the time. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. There's the exhortation to us. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if my servant, if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on him, will come on a day when he is not looking, and in an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. It's a strong analogy that Jesus is using. Potentially, it's possible that it is connected to the context of his return. He promises that he can come at an hour that we expect not. The writer of the book of Hebrews later in that 10th chapter said this, Yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. There will come a day, church family, in our belief that the heavens will part and Jesus Christ, Christ will be revealed. The Bible says, in flaming glory, and he will pour out his wrath and his indignation upon a world who has trodden under the foot the blood of the Son of God and considered the covenant that had sanctified them an unholy thing. But you and I, you and I will not be ashamed of him. Come on, somebody, because we are hid in him. And we know in whom we have believed, and we are firmly persuaded that what he has promised, he will, come on somebody, he will perform. Here's my exhortation to you before I close. If you are not fully integrated into a local body of believers, if you are not connected to the leaders and the people, then you are forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. So, Pastor, I come to church, you know, on Christmas and Easter. I come occasionally. Or I sit and I hear the sun. Let me say this. If you can't call someone pastor, if you don't have a relationship at the degree that you can call someone pastor, and if all you do is come occasionally and hear a sermon, you are forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Because just sitting in the church is not what he's talking about here. Because he mentioned three things that I'm going to close with today that I'm going to drop you that all of us in light of his return and the possibility of his return being in our lifetime and you and I living our lives with that expectation. We have to, number one, we have to consider one another. This ain't just about you. It ain't, you know, I don't just come to church for me. I love to worship. I love to gather. But I don't just come here for me. I assemble for you. I come to church saying, God, what can I do in an act of kindness to someone in church. Can, do you say that? Or do you just come and say, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to get out. Listen, that's not the attitude that we need. We need to be considerate of one another. Come on. 
I want to be here today because I came to encourage you. I don't come to just ask God to bless my family. I have a big family, and I, it grows, and I pray blessings upon my family. But I come to pray for you and your family. Well, I want, to, I want to ask God to help you. I want to consider before, I want to consider what does my absence mean from this assembly? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What if your seat goes empty? What if your ministry goes unfulfilled? What if your commitment, no one takes it up? What's the impact upon the church? If you really believe the day of Christ is approaching, then you need to live life like I'm here for you, brother. Come on, because we need everybody. Come on, we're going to need, we don't know what's happening in America. There's changes. Even despite, take away the context of his sudden and imminent return. We don't know what life's going to be like in the United States 20 years from now. If ever we needed the body of Christ, we need it now. And we consider one another. I want to consider what you're going through, and I want to ask what support you may need. Number two, I am to provoke you, not to anger, which you're probably some of you saying, well, Pastor, you're doing a good job of that today. I'm to provoke you, I'm to stir you up, or I'm to spur you on to do what? To love and to good works. To learn to love one another. I believe by coming together, we build one another up. Listen, the world will tear you down. Come on, the world will walk on you and act like you never even existed. But in the church, we want to value every person. Come on, somebody. We want to learn to encourage and teach one another love. I want to say this to some of you. Many of you here today, or some of you, many may be an over-exaggeration, but some of you have never rested in the love of God. You've never just come to the place where you say, God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. I am loved by the Father. I am his beloved. Once you have that revelation, it changes your perception of life. And because you've received love, now that I know that I'm loved, God commended, you've heard me quote this countless times, God commended his love for us, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Once I become so aware that God sent his son to die on the cross so that I would have access to his presence and eternal life, and I learn to rest in that love, it's not that God's going to turn off his love for you tomorrow. Even if you stumble, he's not going to turn off his love for you. He loves you today, church family, and he's going to love you tomorrow. And once you're confident of that, it gives you peace with God. I'm not waiting for peace with God. I have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? And by, by having that awareness of his love, here's what it causes me to do. It causes me to love others. Isn't that right? By assembling in faith, my love for him is reflected by my love for each other, for one another. I learn to receive love and I learn to give love. And as I learn to receive love and give love, then I'm also challenged to walk in good works. Let me take a moment before closing to just highlight this good works for a second. In order to have good works, you must first overcome the bad works. Let me tell you, if you're new to our church, just so you'll know about First Assembly of God and Pastor Brown and the way that we communicate truth here today. We believe, I believe, that it is our responsibility as a church to speak the truth to you in love. Not hypocritically, not disparagingly, not, not, not to be condemning to you, but to speak the truth in love. I, I make it a mark to remind you, don't let sin, Romans 6 and 14, don't let sin have dominion over you. Come on, don't allow your life to be bound by habit. 
Don't allow your life to be, uh, you know, measured in the context of, of a sinful lifestyle, but live your life free by the power of Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I challenge you. You know, you've heard me preach in days gone by, Ephesians 4 and 17, where Paul said, I charge you to walk. Don't walk as the other Gentiles walk who walk in the vanity of their mind. Do you remember the sermon I preached to you several months ago where I took another translation where it said this, don't live like godless, stupid people. Y'all remember that? Well, I want to tell you again today, quit living like godless, stupid people. Live holy and righteous before God. Come on, it's time, church family, to live a life that's pleasing to God, to have good works that honor the Lord, that are edifying to one another. I wrote it this way. Church family, you are ordained to walk in good works. You are ordained for God to serve someone, to serve somehow, to serve some way, to do something for God's glory and for the edification of the body of Christ. And lastly, in closing, I exhort you. He said we're to exhort one another. The word exhort there in that passage means to encourage and to console, to comfort and to beseech, to instruct and to, with warning, to instruction with warning, or to call you near. As your pastor, I say this, don't get caught up in end times speculation and hysteria, but don't fail to remain sober, vigilant, and aware. Come on, how many know it's a balance? Don't get caught up in hysteria, but don't get caught unaware either. I believe that's what the passage teaches us. So whether or not the turbulent times that you and I live in are in any way connected to the return of Jesus, I cannot say. But I can say this, uncertain and unsettling times are here. They're not just looming on the horizon. Let me say this today to you. The tension between radical Islam and the Western world has only just begun. 9-11 was not the ending. Come on. There's an agenda. The spirit of an antichrist has an agenda. We've watched it on our television screens around the world, but now it's on our land as well. And church family, we've got to live a sober, come on, godly life with our ear tuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Not live in fear, not get caught in hysteria, but to be a bold and a bright and a shining light and to speak truth and to speak it powerfully in love. Does that make sense today, church family? So the author here, as I invite Daryl to the platform, and we're going to get ready to partake of communion today. The author here challenges us, and I just felt it in my heart. I know it was a very simple word today. I know it's not theologically very deep. It may have not just caused you to go home and have to get your thesaurus out and study it out later. It may be that simple. But as your pastor, I truly believe God wants us as a fellowship to really value the moments that he gives us to come together and worship and arrive at that place where it's not just about us receiving, but it's about us giving and to consider what happens in our absence so that I will, be, I will, I will, I will recognize that I have a responsibility to you to you, to minister to you, and to love you, and to help you, to be not a spectator, but to be a participant. You know, I was thinking just a moment ago, as we're going to, we're going to say close, well, I'm going to, we're going to have, uh, you're just going to be patient with me, that's all I can say, about that spectator comment earlier. Have you ever watched a sporting event, whether in person or on television, 
and you just, you just like, I could just get out there on that field. I know there are times that everybody that was a former athlete, you're just like, it's all you could do. It was all you could do to just not, like, oh my gosh, I think I could throw the ball better than that guy, or I could run better than that guy. I've heard Papa say that when he was like 70 years old, and I thought, Papa, you can't do that. <laughs> but you know what? In church, we don't have to be spectators. We can be participants every time. We can connect. We can help. We can move that line. Come on, somebody. We can pray. We can be a shield, a defense. We can help somebody. We can give an assist. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Come on. We get to participate. And that's the value of us coming together. We challenge one another. As you see the day approaching, perhaps it's the day of Christ. Perhaps it's just a major shift in the economy of the United States. But I want to live my life pleasing to the Father. I'll give a threefold invitation before we prepare to take communion today. Number one, I want to ask you this today. Is there anybody among us today that as you've heard me preach today, even going back to the time of worship in your heart, the Holy Spirit was just tugging on your heart today that says you need to make a dedication to Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed for just a moment of time today. And if that's you, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Brown, I need to make, I need to make a dedication of my heart and my life, a commitment to follow him. I want to know him. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to accept the fullness of his blood applied on the cross for my sins. Pastor, would you pray with me today? If that's you, slip your hand up. I'll pray with you right where you're at today. Is there anyone in this congregation? Thank you so much. I see that hand. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. I see that hand today. Is there anyone else here today that says, Pastor, I want to commit my heart, my life to the Lord? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a powerful thing? Number two, real quickly, what about a rededication? What about somebody that says, Pastor, you know, I, 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 have, I committed my life to Christ years earlier, but, you know, I, I, I've, I've kind of just slipped away. I've slipped away. And, and today I want to just rededicate my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you here today? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. God's doing some amazing things this morning. Is anybody else today? I have the courage to thank you. I see that hand today. Anyone else today? We're going to pray together. Lastly. You're here and you say, Pastor, I know Christ. He's the, the lover of my soul. I understand my forgiveness. I'm complete in Him. The reality is I've kind of been negligent about just being involved in church. And today, I just want to be more involved. I want to find my place. I want to add my agreement. I want to be able to help somebody. I, I don't want to forsake the assembling of myself. I want to make sure that I'm a part of what God's doing in my generation. And if that's you, would you slip your hand up? I pray with you today as well. Thank you. Some hands are going up all across this church family today. Now, church family, let's pray a prayer that we're going to include within the opportunity for someone to first accept Christ. So if you raised your hand and you said, Pastor, I want to accept Christ as my Savior, then you pray this prayer with me today. You believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins.